It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yahoo! <laughs> this week, starring my very special guest, Mr. Greg Carroza. <laughs> He's He's stressing because we've been having connection difficulties. I want to let you guys all know that, that we've been testing this stuff for 45 minutes. We have great bandwidth on both ends. Nonetheless, we're getting some glitchiness. So if we lose them all together or he freezes permanently like a character in the movie Frozen, then we will uh, revert to putting him on a cell phone under the microphone. But before we do that, I want to let you know that today we're talking about what to do after Taxi Forward Your Music. It was actually a suggestion from Greg, who is, by the way, a keyboardist and cellist, is a veteran composer, songwriter, and producer for TV, film, and advertising, specializing in pop, EDM, hip-hop, tension, piano, and orchestral works. And guess what, Greg? I didn't tell you this, but I actually printed out this page from your website. So it's not just, oh, those, nice. not just those genres. He does pop, EDM, indie pop, tropical pop, hip-hop pop. That's hip-hop, old-school hip-hop, hip-hop yeah, right. sports, hip-hop tension, hip-hop dramedy. Man, you have every flavor hip-hop covered. Tension, indie folk, solo yep. piano, advertising, deep house. That's a house of the basement. Um, ambient, orchestral, future ambient. Oh, I can't even imagine what that's going to sound like. Trance right. and future bass, jazz, and trailer <laughs> songs. Woo! <laughs> Quite an array of stuff. Um, he was on a panel yeah. last year at the Road Rally. Um and probably will be on a panel this year, although I'm working out the panels as we speak. Uh, but he will be there for certain uh, as a mentor that you can book during the one-to-one -one mentoring. You can meet him at the Eat and Greet luncheons, teaching a class, or in all likelihood, like I said, on a panel. Greg's first attempt at using, attempt at using taxi was an epic failure. Tragic. Um, and then he figured out the secret sauce was simply creating music that actually fit the brief rather than pitching previously creative music that never really hit the nail on the head. He's extremely generous in sharing what he's learned with other Taxi members and has been a great guest on previous Taxi TV episodes. I'm always excited to have him. Join me, ladies and gentlemen, once again, Mr. Greg Carrozza. Thank you, Rick. Really makes me sound like a lot more than I am, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Don't be humble. Come on. Anyway, I am glad to have you here. Greg has become a friend over the last couple of years. I think we bonded during the quarantinis, maybe, or just prior to that. And, sure. Uh, yeah, you know, so uh, something good came from uh, that pandemic. Um, that's right. Yes, I have on my NASA shirt today. I actually got this at the Kennedy Space Center uh if you've never been there, everybody should go. Hello, everybody in the chat room. Um, great to see you guys all here. Um, so, Greg, um, you came up with this topic. Uh, you did a panel that covered several of these things last year with uh, Dave Croft, Memory Serves. Um, mm -hmm. So where do you want to start today? Which of the, you know, you want to talk about what to do after you get a forward, how to manage your expectations and attitude, how to deal with people when they contact you versus how to deal with animals if they should contact you, how to be right. prepared for that, how to communicate, how to create deliverables, which seems to be really hard for a lot of people. Where do you want to start? Well, I, I, think, it's, I think it's best to start with being prepared. 
for what's coming because i think that's what i think that's maybe one of the biggest problems going on with with many people is that once they get contacted from a forward they don't really know what was coming and they're not prepared and there's a lot of things i you know i think you need to have you know in a row in your ducks in a row before somebody contacts you because the worst thing that you want to happen is someone contacts you and you and you don't uh you don't have what they need or you're not able to do it and or you're not communicating with them effectively or what have you and you're going to ruin the relationship before it even gets started so um i think that's what the number one thing to think about is um i mean the thing that comes before that is something that we you've talked about so many times which is the the mantra of you know write submit forget and repeat so i mean that that at this point that kind of goes without saying like don't um don't get worried about whether your music right. is going to be you got or, or you got a forward now you're sitting there staring at your phone like a dog looking at a piece of kibble on the ground <laughs> yeah right that's just not that's not helpful you know just just let it go and and don't worry about it write the next piece of music um and 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 move on and or submit the one you already have that got forwarded to something else and just just keep on going and when you get that response that's when you got to be that's what you got to be ready for you know a lot of people i hear this from library owners many of which are friends of mine and, and i've heard this story told many many times which is they reach out to people and the people freeze they, they almost have an attitude like you're here trying to rip me off or they don't respond to them at all or if they do respond they're very trepidatious and suspicious sounding um as a broad general statement, I have yet to ever meet a music library or music library owner that Taxi has worked with, because we vet our companies really, really well, that has ever ripped off anybody or ever has that intent. It's basically, hey, yeah, I'm going to make a buck, but you're going to make a buck too. So I wish people weren't so trepidatious, but I just saw um, one of our viewers made a comment that uh, Taxi TV teaches the opposite of what they teach in music school classes, which is, is probably true because this is real world. These are actual working musicians and working companies, and we're in the trenches all the time versus um, teachers with books that were written 25 years ago about, you know, keep your publishing, well, that would be ideal, but it doesn't always happen. Anyway, my point in saying that is that it's an old wives' tale, I guess for lack of a better way to describe it, is everybody in the industry wants to rip you off. Maybe 30 years ago, 50 years ago, or at some point, maybe the whole record industry wants to rip you off, which I don't think is the case. But the music library business, they're just trying to find people with music that's going to make both of you money. And absolutely. Yeah. It's just the, the thing to keep in mind, there, there's two things to keep in mind, I think. Number one is it's it's almost always a 50-50 type of a deal. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are lots of details, and I'm not a lawyer, so you know, you're going to be reading the contract that somebody sends you, and, and I have that listed here as something I do want to talk about a little later. But you know, that's something to keep in mind, which is something to be prepared for. Like, you should be prepared that that's what you're going to be offered is a pretty much a 50-50 deal. And that's nothing wrong with that. That is pretty much the way that it is. Even if there are other small details like the term or, um, you know, the or whether it's exclusive or not or that kind of stuff. But that's basically it. So 
be prepared that that's what's coming. I mean, I think a lot of people aren't prepared for that. Um, and the second thing is to always attempt to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Um, you know, they, they've got a need, you know, they, they need uh, a certain type of music or they need a bunch of different ones, or they've got a client that's asking them for something. And so they're scrambling, looking for material that's going to fit. Um, you just want to put yourself in their shoes. They're not sitting there trying to, trying to rip you off, you know, they, you know, with, uh, you know, doing this and trying to figure out what's the best way they can write the language so that you get nothing and they get everything. Um, it just, it just isn't that way. So there's really no reason to, uh, expect that it's not, it's not going to happen. Plus, it's a pretty small universe of composers, relatively speaking, uh, composers and library owners. People in the sync world would know if there was a library that was purposely ripping people off or giving them a crap deal time and time again, everybody would know. There have probably sure. been a few that have done that over the years, and they're not in business anymore. Anyway. Right. And, and that goes both ways. I mean, you, you've talked so many times, and rightly so, about um, you know, you, if you do the wrong thing with uh, a publisher or a library, um, your name's going to get around uh, to the negative. <laughs> but it works the other way. So among composers, if, if, uh, if a publisher or a library is, is not doing the right thing, um, it's going to get around and they're going to they're not going to get many composers to sign with them. So uh, I think it works both ways. Let's talk about managing expectations, and I'm going to base this off a great story that I don't think I've ever shared with you, but there's a pretty famous songwriter in Nashville named Jeffrey Steele, and he and I, uh, I would say he's like one of, you know, for a while there, he's definitely like a top three writer for maybe a decade, could do no wrong. Everybody wanted to work with him, um, very gregarious guy, really liked him a lot. He and I met, became friends, and... Uh, I was walking on Music Row one time, and he drove by. I, I can't. Remember, he had a convertible, and he like slammed on his brakes, jumped out of his car, ran over, and gave me a big hug. Why are you here in town? You didn't tell me. So, well, I'm gonna do a seminar on film and TV. Um, you didn't get the invite because I was doing one night for pro songwriters because I felt that you know this was probably a dozen or more years ago. People in Nashville, even pro songwriters, really didn't understand how the sync industry worked certainly not our end of the sync industry they only knew about giant hit song on a major label being licensed for the opening credits of a blockbuster summer movie so uh he said he comes up gives me a big hug goes so you're doing film and tv huh can you get me like 7500k for one of my songs and, and you know, probably because he was Jeffrey Steele and worked with all, you know, major, major artists cut his stuff all the time. There probably would have been stuff that somebody would have licensed from him for a quarter of a million for both sides. But that was, there's a case of managing expectations. I think that that thought was rampant in Nashville, that probably everybody in Nashville thought that they would get big bucks. They didn't understand the concept of, Independence gets stuff licensed for a TV show on a major network primetime for, you know, like $2,500 to $5,000 um, and split the publishing. So do you have any tips for people who are more in our world and not my friend Jeffrey Steele on how they should manage their expectations on what they're going to get, 
how long it'll take to get the money, those things. Oh, right. Well, you know, and the thing when I said manage your expectations, you know, more of what I was thinking about was that you, you shouldn't expect anything at all, uh, you know, <laughs> because you could, you know, it's more than likely you're never going to get contacted about it um, be, for many, many, many reasons. But when it comes to actually getting a placement, I mean, that's definitely an expectation to manage as well. I, you know, I think just like in your story, too many people think that, you know, they're they're going to write Walking on Sunshine and they're going to get it in, you know, every ad, every movie, and it's going to pay for the rest of their life. And that's that's not going to happen. You know, it's what's much, much, much more likely is that um, you get. $10 here, $100 there, maybe $1,000 over there. Um, and that's three different songs. So you need to you need to keep writing music, you need to uh, get it signed with many different places. As you said, put eggs in lots of baskets. Yeah. Um, and uh, but don't you absolutely shouldn't expect that any one piece of music is going to, uh, you know, financially make your whole career that is extremely extremely unlikely um and of course not impossible but it's not something to expect it's not it's not the goal to reach for you know i think the goal right. to reach for is to write lots and lots and lots of great music the best you can get it in a lot of places and have lots more opportunities uh for it to be placed that's definitely so, a much better a much a much uh, surer way to success Somebody once said to me, I'd rather grab at a thousand brass rings that were a foot lower than the one brass ring that's a foot higher. Sure. <laughs> well, it makes, makes, absolute, makes absolute sense. Yep. I mean, um, there isn't any reason why you can't go for that, go for that higher one. But uh, if you're only going for that higher one, you're, you're likely to be quite disappointed and, you, you know, you're likely to not succeed and you're likely to give up. Yeah, and you can do both. They're not mutually exclusive, you know. Absolutely. Chances are, if you're going for the thousand smaller, lower brass rings along the way, you're liable to have one that's kind of a grand slam. Maybe one thing ends up in a commercial for $45,000. But that's not going to happen every week, every month, or every year. No. It, it probably will happen, but at some point. So somebody just asked, the question has scrolled past me now, but they're asking, uh, and I'm not going to do a lot of interruptions with Q&A that's in the chat right this moment. We will do Q&A at the end of the episode, but this one is pretty apropos, so I wanted to grab it. Um, and Sherry wants to know, or Cherry uh, wants to know, once a song is forwarded, is it tied up? This is a big misconception. People think mm -hmm. that once something's forwarded, that it's kind of on hold with that company while they consider it. And the answer is no. Pitch that sucker everywhere you can, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there, have have there been times when I thought, you know, there was a is a really good chance, and so I kind of put it on hold in in my mind. You know, I didn't I didn't pitch it elsewhere, but generally that's not a good idea it, you're much you it's it's because it's because it's more likely that um that you get no communication it's better to continue to pitch the 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 music over and over again and the worst case scenario is you sign it somewhere and someone else comes back later and says oh is this still available and you say no but i can write you something else like it um 
and that's definitely on my list to talk about about how to be prepared for when you know when you get when you get uh, contacted. That's something to be prepared to do. Um, well, do you want to transition into that topic now? Because we're... absolutely. Okay, go. The, for it. Okay, the it's what you should expect when you get contacted is that they're always going to ask you, "Do you have more material like this?" and you don't want to lie but you want to be prepared for that question because you're going to get it so you um you want to be able to either say i do have something or i don't have anything like it right now but i will create something and come up with a very very reasonable time frame like within a week or so yeah. something like that now if that is not reasonable for you then you should try to be prepared to have something else available because you're just going to get asked for that. And that's a, and it's a, a hugely positive step in the relationship. If you do have more material, like what they like, and uh, you're able to send it to them in a timely way and they like it. Yeah. You know, so that's if, really, really positive. If you don't have another one in your stash and you're leaving for Disneyland with the whole family tomorrow, don't say I can have one for you in three days and plan on working out of the hotel room. Just be honest. You know, we're, it's not rocket science and it's not life or death. And 95% of the time, if you say, I can certainly whip some more of those up. I'm, gonna, I'm taking my family to Disneyland next week. Can I work the week after I get back and get it to you in two weeks? And they're going to say, yeah, that's fine. Absolutely. I've definitely talked about that before it is always better to not misrepresent yourself and be as honest as you can um and nobody's going to hold that against you it's completely completely logical for that to happen yep so that makes sense always do what uh say what you'll do and do what you said um that's that's paramount i think that was the 11th commandment <laughs> if, whose movie was it? One of my kids actually grew up thinking that there were three tablets because oh, she yeah. saw the Mel Brooks movie where they dropped the third yeah. tablet. And when she was right. like 16, 17 years old, she looked at me and she goes, weren't there three? How many <laughs> commandments were there in the beginning? I said, oh my God, you were you sleeping during Sunday school classes? <laughs> you totally missed that? She goes, well, I saw right. that movie. <laughs> Yeah, if you're getting your information from Mel Brooks, you, there's a maybe a small problem there. <laughs> oh man! Um, any other great advice on managing expectations? And let's talk about attitude, uh, because I've met a lot of people along the way that seem to have an attitude like the world owes them a living, owes them stardom, owes them success in the music industry. And because of that old wives' tale, everybody's out to rip you off from the industry side. I've had cases where the attitude from the taxi member going to the library was kind of snotty and the members were coarse enough, let's say, using even coarse language that the library owners called me up and said, what the hell? Who are you guys dealing with? So how do you manage your expectations so that you can develop a good attitude that's open-minded and forward-moving. I, I really think that that bad attitude comes from you, you taking your work a little too seriously and, and holding it a little too dearly. 
you know, I think if you think you've written the greatest song of all time, um, then you're going to you're going to feel a little negatively about other people and you're going to have a bit of a scarcity um, mentality, which is that, you know, like this is this song is great. And you're not really thinking about how you can do another one and another one and another one. And I think once you transition to the mindset of I can just write more music and more music or more songs and more songs, and then no one of them is so important to you that you're holding it so tightly that you're so guarded against, um, you know, doing business with anyone. I think then your attitude becomes more positive. But once you're hold, when you're holding on to it like that, you you're just holding on to negativity, and you you got to let that go if you if you want to succeed in sync for sure. And if you do write that one song that you think, wow, this is by far not just the best thing I've written this month, but this is the best thing I've ever written. This legitimately has a shot at getting cut by a major label artist. Don't pitch that for film and TV. Mm -hmm. Put that in a different basket and, and play by a different set of rules for that one because you will regret giving up half the 100% of the publisher share, half of the total publishing on a song, you know, if you are fortunate enough to get your song cut by like, I don't know, Beyonce or JLo or somebody. I mean, that would be sad. Then again, make sure you're not fooling yourself into thinking I've just written the best song ever and they're gonna be the path to my door because those folks have access to the best songwriters in the industry. And you know, even those people have a hard time getting a cut on a big album. Um, right. But I still think it comes down to attitude like you said, I mean, it really, whether you have a fantastic or great, the greatest song of all time, still your attitude about it has to be, I'll write another great one tomorrow or next week. Yeah. And I'll, you know, and, I'll, and at the end of the year, I'll have 10, 20, 30, 50, whatever. Um, you know, but when you're like, I wrote this song and now this, I, I put this song, this song is the, the song. Um, you're you're just gonna you're gonna feel negatively about anybody you, you talk to about it if 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 they're not in love with it which you know chances are they won't be for a myriad of reasons which may not have anything to do with how great it is you know as you've talked about it always has to do with whether it fits not whether it's great right um so you know that's another thing that's another thing you got to also kind of get past is you've got to try to get past not judging your work empirically but whether it actually fits the situations that that it's being that you're submitting it for you know like your shoe story <laughs> right size nine men's penny loafer and a d width for exactly. a lady with a seven and a half b uh, you know both right. great shoes but one doesn't fit exactly. the glass slipper um i've also seen some cases where that attitude is so pervasive and it comes from, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I, I don't pretend to be, although I saw one on a TV show one time. Um, that same skeptical, cynical, slightly nasty, suspicious attitude can also prevent you from finding great collaborators that could contribute oh, so sure. much to your success because people don't want to work with, it's like dating. You go out on a date with somebody, if all they do on the first date is talk about their horrible ex-wife or horrible ex-husband um, or whatever, you know, there probably won't be a second date. So it, it, 
you collaborate. Um, oh yeah. How, how do you, how much does personality and attitude go toward building a good collaborative relationship? Oh, it's, it's, it's all of it. It really, um, because if you can't, if you can't, you know, get along with the collaborators, if you're not, if you're not open to ideas, you know, if you're not open to other uh, methods of working, uh, then you're not going to be very, very successful. I mean, I, I tend to be, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a morning worker. You know, I get up at, I get up at like six thirty every day. I get it. I get to the studio like eight or eight thirty, um, and I start working at that time. Um, it just happens that my schedule works out that way, and that's when I'm thinking best. But lots of other people work entirely different ways. Maybe they can only work in the evening. Maybe they only work in the weekend. Um, so, you know, there isn't a lot of time. There isn't a lot of overlap time sometimes to to uh, to be in the same room, you know, even though it, it may pr probably be over the Internet anyway. Um, so you got to be open that way of working. You know, that's OK or whatever, you know, methodologies of working uh, together. And, you know, I always find that what I try to do is always fill the gaps for my collaborators, you know, if whatever they are strong on they do it and whatever they're weak on i do it and um sometimes and that, that's different for different um people but i feel like that's helped me be successful with a lot of different collaborators because it's just not always the same i mean sometimes someone's extremely strong with with uh you know their melody and sometimes they're not sometimes they've got so, you know, they've got some other production ideas that we can, uh, you know, incorporate. And sometimes they're, that's absolutely terrible. And I have to throw it all away and, 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 and start from scratch. But it's, you know, that's, but if you're not, you know, if you're not willing to be open, you're not communicative with others, you know, you're not positive, have positive attitude, then you're probably not going to be successful together. You got to be, got to be positive. And the Keep taxi community is so warm and embracing and positive oh, yeah. and helpful and generous of spirit. All those things that are almost like sickeningly sappy to say, but 100% true in the case of the taxi community. You could also be such a jerk in a situation where even the most restrained person who's not a gossip is liable to say to somebody else who's a friend of theirs, maybe a... a current or former collaborator, oh yeah, I met so-and-so at the rally, I think I might collaborate with him or her, you might say, oh, good luck, I hope you have better luck than I did, which wouldn't be the most dishonest thing to say, but word can spread, so attitude counts a lot, uh, and, you know, just be a mensch, that's what I'm trying to say, <laughs> be a mensch. Right. <laughs> There's my Yiddish usage for this episode. Right, it's a um, technical term. That's right. Uh, there are a lot of folks asking questions that are some are related to this, some are not. Guys, this isn't the, the time or the place. We will take questions like in the back third of this um, episode. So hang in there. And uh, it's absolutely true. I see some of you are typing the word question in beforehand. Yes, please do that. But not yet, because it'll break up this amazing flow that Greg and I have. We're like Vulcan mind melding right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so how do you comport yourself? That was my big English word for the day. How do you comport yourself when somebody reaches out to you from a library? How do you 
I think people are scared to appear to be a rookie, um, and that maybe that gets them in trouble because they try to be somebody they're not. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk about the bigger picture, would you? Well, I think the bigger picture is to be prepared for when you get that uh, that communication, so that you're not you don't look like a rookie because you don't know how to respond. Um, and I, that includes things like, um, I mean, keeping in mind that what you're doing is a business. You know, you are like your own business. So you should have you should have your um, like a a work email address that's not your personal email address, you know, like Johnny1964 um, uh, at Yahoo, you know, you, you should have a, a real, you should have Don't a- Don't give a my address out in public, damn it. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that, Mark. But, uh, <laughs> yes, so, you know, you should have something that's 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 more business-like. Um, you should have a, a, a work phone number if you can. There's plenty of ways that uh, you can get uh, a free phone number that rings on your personal phone. Um, that you can use just for just for business um, and you should have the your examples of work already set up with us with a streaming uh, site like disco or SoundCloud I personally use disco and I know that's becoming more and more popular and it's not it's not free but it's uh, I think it's very um, relatively inexpensive for what you get for it and it's more and more people are using it and so it is when you've got that already there, I mean, then I mean, you can respond in five minutes to an email when somebody right. says, do you, do you have some more work? Well, sure I do. Boom. Yes. Here's a, hey. you know, here's a link to the playlist or here's a link to the, to the song. It's already there. But if you're scrambling to do all that, when somebody asks you because you didn't know it was coming, that's when you look like a rookie. And that's when you're jeopardizing a, a new relationship, which you don't want to do. And don't look for that library owner or other industry pro to be your personal savior and handholder. They don't have time for that. Some will once they get to know you and they learn to like you and respect you on other levels. And if they see that you've got an area that you need a little handholding, they'll give it to you because they want to. But if you're that squeaky wheel, it's like, well, I don't know how to attach a song to an email. Well, you don't. Don't ever attach a song or a track to an email um, because people don't want to clog up their hard drives. Use Disco. What's Disco? Oh, can you show me, can you send me a link, Mr. Library Owner, to Disco? By the way, I should mention, Disco is considering a sponsorship at the Taxi Road Rally this year. I cannot think of a better sponsorship for them than being at the rally because virtually every single person there is a Disco customer. Um, can you? I, they should be. They should be. Can you give a, a brief explanation of what disco is, so that people don't confuse it with the thing with the mirror ball and all that stuff? Right. I, you know, I think that they've actually added a whole lot more to their service that I don't personally use. I mean, I use it strictly uh, to um, I, I upload my songs there, uh, and I create playlists that I use both to share with collaborators and also to um, to send to uh, publishers and library owners when they ask me, you know, if I have material like this and I create a playlist by dragging the songs onto it and send it over to them. And those, uh, you know, a neat feature there is that you can make like private links that only they can see and then you can look at stats like they listened to this song three times or they haven't listened to it yet or that kind of stuff. It's really, really helpful. In fact, that sheet that you printed out from my website, um, actually each one of those 
each one of those boxes just pops over to a disco playlist. And so one of the really easy things is that um, I don't have to change the website. I just go to disco and say, well, now I'm going to add this song to my pop playlist. And uh, that automatically just shows up next time somebody uh, looks at the site for, for pop music. So it makes and, that really easy. It's become an industry standard on the industry side as well, because they may get a forward from 19 taxi members and they may hear two pieces from you that they like one from somebody else four from somebody else whatever uh and they can just drag and drop them onto the playlist they're building because they're intending to put out a full album of dramedy let's say next month so it just makes the the transmission sending music back and forth and the organizing of it really really easy to do and like you mm -hmm. said it, it's not a fortune um but no every library and, owner would expect you to have it i think is a pretty fair statement yeah i think so and you, you know one other detail about that is that you want to make sure when you use that service or other ones but i you know i like i said i use that one and i think it, it's it's very great you want to make sure that you're descriptive information about your songs is filled in and is correct like the the title of the song like the title of the song is not going to be my song late night 23 mix number two you know that's that's insane you know just have the title of the song you know but the composer information is correct the artist information is correct the the beats per minute is correct the genre uh you have your contact information in there if it's a song it's a vocal song you can get the lyrics in there um so just like you said as an example when somebody you know you send that to somebody and then they want to drag it onto a different playlist yeah all that information is there it's describing it so you can they can have that information they can get back in contact with you um because it's right there embedded with the song so you definitely want to make sure you do all that before you send it to anyone let, let's talk about metadata for a second because you touched on it um we could do easily do 90 minutes just on metadata but um i want you to talk about as many aspects as you feel are apropos but i'd like to start the conversation by saying that when musicians try to create try to decide what genre their music is when they're creating their metadata i find that they often get it wrong more often than not they get it wrong they really don't know their own music um, so how can they best because you don't want to misrepresent you know if, if you've got um, something that's kind of country rockish feeling but you go well somebody might think it's Americana uh, and there's really nothing genuinely Americana yes they are somewhat related in that they both use acoustic guitars maybe or something like that how do you decide what genre you're working in and if you don't feel objective enough to pick your own genres, where might you get some feedback that would help you? Well, I hopefully I haven't ever been wrong about the genre of music I've done. <laughs> it could have been, but hopefully it wasn't. Most Let of the me time ask your wife. Yeah, right. <laughs> Most of the time it's because I'm, I'm going at it with knowing the genre up front. Like I'm trying to write um, a 90s hip hop track or I'm trying to do an indie pop track with guitar so i kind of go in knowing what the genre is not do it and then figure out what it is later but i do understand that scenario and i'm sure plenty of people are in that so you know when that does happen i you know i just try to go to resources that i know uh listen to music read a read a book uh like um um 
like Tracy and Vance Marino's books got a lot of information there about about the what genres are and kind of how they determine them. So that's a really good thing. You know, I think the thing to keep in mind about metadata is the the whole concept, I think, conflates two different portions of information. Because um, generally, right, metadata is the information about your song. That's not the audio, but everything else about it. Right. But I think we can divide that up into two different categories. It's a great point. And one of them is one of them is the the identifying information about the song and you like the like i mentioned the title the composers the artists the the tempo um your your contact information um the lyrics i mean these are all those are all empirical not subjective pieces of information right um you absolutely have to get that all filled in and get that correct. Now, when you move on to the subjective uh, pieces of data that you might store along with your music or know about it, like the genre, like genre, I think kind of straddles both sides because, you know, you'd like to think it was a little more objective, but of course there's many cases where it's subjective and you, you, you don't want to get yeah. it wrong. You want to be as right as possible. But when you get into stuff like what's the mood, you know, what are keywords you want people to find your song when they search for? Uh, what is a written sentence description of what the song or the music is all about? Those are all very, very subjective. And um, those aren't having that information. The subjective pieces of information is not imperative at this at this stage that we we're talking about. You know, you'll get that later on when, you know, a publisher or a library may ask you to provide that information, but they may very well do it themselves and not ask you to provide that. Um, you'll always have to provide the, the objective empirical information about the song. So right. always get that right and make sure you get that filled in. <laughs> I hope that was clear. Or, it, it or, was very or now you're getting question, 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 question. No, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> noticing. I am trying to watch a chat room to see if there's anything that we should answer. Um, and, and again, we're not doing questions right now. It's just if I can incorporate it into the conversation with Greg, I will. But uh, Jilly asks, "What's a song called when you mix five kinds of music together?" And I've got an answer for that: unsignable. <laughs> it is people people want to know they jilly you've probably heard me talk about the shoe store analogy which greg just referenced a couple minutes ago people pretty much know what they want and they need to have a genre to help them look for it search for it um, when you mix together too many genres people have done it and maybe every once a generation, somebody does it so well that they're the next Beatles or Bob Dylan or somebody. The odds of that happening are so slim, I wouldn't put my bet on that horse. So you want to be in a genre, uh, you know, and don't walk up to anybody in the industry. And they, they, you meet somebody at the Taxi Road Rally, which starts November 2nd of 2023 and goes through the 5th. Um, you don't want to have a panelist meet you while you're both waiting for your beer to come from the bartender and, and the panelist says, so what kind of music do you do? I do rock, I do pop, I do, and you go down this list, they immediately in the back of their mind are thinking, oh, a rookie. 
Uh, it's not. It's kind of like going out on a date with a guy, and he says, "Yeah, I just got a, out of prison for beating my first wife." Um, <laughs> it's a bad sign, bad lead off, you know. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking in the extreme, Greg. Um, that is anyway. extreme. It's pretty extreme. I, I was watching some form of like true detective TV before I went to bed last night, and that was the thing that was on there. Wife-beating spouse. Anyway, um, shows how heavily influenced I am by television. Anyway, uh, what do you tell people? Because you do do many genres, but it took you a while to get good at many of them. What's your answer if a library owner walked up to you at the bar and said, hey, Carouse, I keep hearing your name. Tell me more about what kind of music you do. What would you say? I I always stick to, you know, I do pop and hip hop music. Um, and even though I do lots of other stuff, that's usually what I, I lead with, um, just to keep it simple. Right. Like you said. Um, and if they you know, say what I might, what I might, what I might more accurately say is, well, I do pop and hip hop, but I do lots of other things too. So, you know, it depends on what you're, what you need right now, but, and I can discuss that. The key phrase, what you need, tell me what you yeah. need. I'll let you know if I can do that successfully. Right. Great. Um, yeah, you want to you want to keep the you don't want to start going into a list of things for people. You know, you got to keep it to fifteen seconds. Let's talk about deliverables now. Um, first of all, define what deliverables are, and then tell people what kind they should have. So that was actually another thing that kind of straddles uh, topics here because it's something that you've got to be prepared for. Is like know that it's coming is that if someone wants to sign your song or instrumental, whichever, um, they, they absolutely need more than one version of it. They need more than the, that, the, the full version of everything that they're hearing. They're, if it's a vocal song, they absolutely need instrumental with no vocals. They, um, they might, and then they may ask you for other types of versions, like they may ask you for just the vocals. They may ask you for um, stems. Oh, let's let's try not to get too deep into that woods. Um, stems are subgroups of instruments that go together. When you play them all back together, it's the whole song. Like the drums in one stereo track, and all the guitars in another stereo track, and all the keyboards in another stereo track, and all the vocals in another stereo track. Four. Done. Four stems. Set all, um, all those faders at zero and hit play, and it should sound just like your original mix. Right. And we can, we'll, and we'll, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to, uh, we can go into a little more detail about how to do it. But I, what I want to say now is be prepared that you will need to do it. Um, I think you've heard the story probably many more times than I have, but you've heard the story of people who've, who um, maybe they aren't doing a lot of the work themselves directly in their own studio and they recorded songs in a studio and they came away with the full song and then um, someone wants to sign it and asks them for an instrumental like, well, I can't do it. I don't have it and I can't do it. And I need it by tomorrow morning because it's a, a serious contender for a major commercial with a $10,000 creative fee. Right. So that's why I'm saying is, is be prepared that you're going to be asked for it. So if you are a songwriter and you're employing, um, you know, a instrumentalist or in a studio, a vocalist, whatever, 
you've got to come out of there with the full mix and instrumental, uh, the just the vocals and probably some stems just so you've got them because you know that you can't make them on demand. I personally can make everything that's needed on demand. So, uh, you know, I'm lucky that way. And so I don't quite have to be ready to go because the other the other side of that story is um, you don't want to prepare a lot of things in advance because everybody's got a different set of um, details that they want you to meet. Uh, so you can't absolutely be prepared for what anybody could possibly ask you for um, you know, as far as how the volume is or the file format or the bit rate or the sample rate or the, these things might get these things are going to be different for everybody that it asks you but the key thing to remember is that you will have to do something you will have to you will have to deliver more than one version of your of your music so be ready to do that yeah that's a pretty daunting concept for people um but you know it, it is all part of a business and there mm -hmm. used to be a time where you could just write three great songs make three great demos hand them to a manager, an agent, uh, whatever person got them in the hands of an A&R person and label. We love you, we'd like to sign you. First, we wanna come see your live show, that worked out well, and we sign you, and here's a big producer to work with, and we book the studio, and we take care of everything for you. We're not in that music business anymore. Even on the record side of the industry, so much of it is, is DIY, do it yourself. Um, and you've got the tools now. I would say it's a fair statement to say somewhere over 80% of Taxi's members have a home studio, which by the way, if you have any illusions that it has to be fancy, get rid of those. Um, one of our most successful members, I, I throw his name out all the time, Matt Vanderbo, literally told the story on camera during a Taxi TV that the first time he fired up Pro Tools and saw the splash screen, he went, now what do I do? and he was using his QWERTY keyboard as, as his piano keyboard. Mm. Uh, he knew nothing, and now he's one of my, our most successful, you know, longtime members. Literally, as he says, you can hear his music every hour of the day somewhere on the planet Earth. Um, and, and all he had was kind of like a, a mid-level iMac with a small, like, one or two octave keyboard, um, eventually. <laughs> Uh, a two or three hundred dollar microphone, a three or four hundred dollar pair of speakers, uh, and that was it. And yet he was able to be successful in the industry with just that. So what I'm saying is, if you think you need to like acoustically treat a room, which Greg has, I can see it on the wall behind him, um, <laughs> uh, you probably don't. Honestly, there's so much you can do with nothing more than a laptop and Logic or Pro Tools or, or whatever form of workstation you choose to use. Um, you would be smart to invest your time learning from the YouTube videos that are out there. Take your time, become proficient. It's life-changing because you control your own destiny rather than relying on, well, I mixed it at uh, somebody else's studio and now he's booked on a project for a week. Maybe he can do it tomorrow night at 4 a.m., blah, blah, blah. That's, that's a career-ruining event right there, certainly a contract-ruining event. Um, yep. Let's see. Uh, you want to talk about IPI numbers, any of that more technical stuff? Uh, 
as it relates to his submissions? Well, yeah, not overly. I mean, generally, you, what I could say about that is um, I, I, I wrote a little note down to myself that uh, this this seems like um, this seems like obvious, but you know, you're going to be asked, you're going to be given a contract that you're going to sign, like an agreement. And, um, you know, you're going to need to make sure that you're, you're giving all the accurate information about you. You know, I, I already talked about making sure that you've accurately identified your music, but you definitely have to accurately identify yourself, like use your full legal name and your consistently uh, and, everywhere. Yeah. And using the IPI number that got assigned to your full legal name from your PRO and, um, and whatever other identifying information they might ask, you know, from you, like, you, know, you might be asked for your social security number if you're a, if you're just a you know pay taxes yourself or if you've set up a business then like an LLC then you might then you'd be asked for your um, the tax ID for that but um in general you know what I want to talk about on the contract side is that to be prepared that that's you're going to be asked to do that and you got to do that in a timely way um, and I'm not saying don't read it and don't make every effort to understand everything that it says but um, I I heard a story from I heard a story from a publisher that I that I've signed with been with a long time and now we're friends and um, the story is just generally that he sent a contract to someone and like three weeks later later that person still hadn't agreed and still had questions and um, it was just like too much time had passed and too many questions had been asked and so he just decided to to uh, to rescind the the offer. And, um, you know, that's a shame. But again, it's the kind of thing you don't really want to do because it'll ruin a relationship before it begins. Yeah. And it happens all the time. And it yeah. happens because of ignorance, because people didn't watch this episode of Taxi TV, didn't go on the forum to ask questions and get handholding from their fellow members, which so generously will give it out. Everything you could want to learn is available to you on that forum. Either it's there already, or you can ask somebody if it's not. Uh, you have no more excuses. You know, well, I didn't go to college. I wasn't a music major, a music business major. It doesn't matter. You probably learn more in the taxi forum than you might in four years of music business education anyway. Um, sure. So, yeah, just... Be prepared, man. Be a Boy Scout. No excuses. And somebody said, I think it's Crash Gates said that he he said, "Sorry, Michael, I don't believe the story in so many words about um, uh, Vanderbo having this skinny little home studio." It's a hundred percent true. Uh, yeah. I, it literally, I was in the room, took pictures. There's an episode of Taxi TV where I show his studio. It was an iMac, a microphone one or two octave keyboard. I think there might have been a trumpet laying on the couch in the back of the room. By the way, it was in a tool shed. He built a tool shed in his backyard, dropped an air conditioner in it, uh, and, and built a little studio in there, and it worked. So there you go. Um, any other stuff about uh, how to deal with uh, what you have to deal with after you get the forward? Uh, have we covered everything you want to and do you want to move on to Q&A or do you have other stuff? I got a couple of things to say about communication in general. Okay. Um, so the first one, like the overarching thing is it, you want to be, you want to be aware that you 
are responsible for the relationships that you're going to develop with publishers and libraries. They're not responsible. They can, they can get music a lot of places, but you want them to sign your music and you want to get it placed. So you're responsible for the relationship. Um, now I think when you, so when you keep that in mind, um, you'll probably do a better job communicating, <laughs> knowing that it's on you to do the right thing, even if they do the wrong thing. Right. Um, like, you know, if you get an email, respond to it within 24 hours and probably much faster if possible, oh, yeah. you know, especially um, if they ask you to respond quickly because of a deadline or, or, or what have you. Um, and if you can't, you know, you know, if you're being asked a question or you're being asked to deliver something or you can't and you can't do it by when you're asking, respond and say, well, I can't do that now. I can't answer your question right now, but I will answer it and give a reasonable timeline. You know, like, you know, sometimes it happens. Uh, you're you're not at home. You're 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 at your you're at your day job. You can't really answer emails. And somebody says, hey, I need you to I need you to answer this by the end of today. Well, the thing to do is to respond immediately. Tell them you can't. And, right. then, and when you will not ignore them. That's the wrong thing to do. And check your Never spam folder. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, always do that. I don't do it as you know, I, I do it like once a week. I should do it more frequently because I do find stuff in there I wish I'd seen three days ago. That <laughs> happens. And, and, and another really, really big thing, um, and you, you alluded to this earlier um, about hand-holding. Um, don't ask someone a lot of questions. Um, Somebody they, in the industry. Yes. Yes. Okay. Don't don't it, it, when when you when a publisher or a library owner or music supervisor or whatever, they contact you from a forward. Don't ask them a lot of questions. Um, it there's a couple of a couple of really great reasons why. First of all, the number one is they don't have the time to answer all of your questions. Um, they probably would love to, you know, but they just don't have the time to do it. Uh, the second one is a little bit more of a human behavior thing that I've, that I've noticed is that if you email somebody three questions, you almost always will never get the answer to every, every question. Um, you'll probably get the answer to the first question. You may get the answer to the last question, but you won't get them all. And that's just because people are not organized. They're not reading it clearly. They're, they don't have the time. So. If you've got to ask somebody a question, ask them one to two questions. And sure, and, 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 and like keep, less keep than 10 words. Oh, of course, yes, keep it brief. And don't ask them more than two questions. Go out and find the answers to your questions elsewhere. The um, Taxi Forum, I'm telling you, everybody a who's point. a regular user says it's like the gold mine of gold mines. They wish they'd used it years ago, but people have, there's, forums are a little stigmatized. They're like, predated um, social media. Uh, but Facebook and other forms of social media are more ephemeral, meaning things are here one moment, gone the next, whereas a forum is like an ever-growing, deepening, widening library of, of information you need. It's all there. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and it's you know, nothing is, I don't think there's much that would be more off-putting to, you know, a library owner if they if they get if you respond to them with a question that you could have easily found the answer to 
um, many other ways. Right. Ooh, um, that's you a know, great point. It's perfectly fine to ask them specific questions that only they can answer um, that you may not know the answer to. You know, but uh, like if they say they say they give you um, they give you some information about uh, how to deliver things to them and what they and they leave out some detail that's important, like, um, you know, they tell you that it, they want wave files and they want them to be 24 bit um, and they want you to have um, no more than 100 milliseconds of silence before the song. But they don't tell you anything about how loud you want, they want it to be. So now you could ignore that and make it really loud or really quiet, but you could ask that question. They, they're the only person that can answer that and say, hey, you didn't put this on this spec sheet. Um, how loud do you want these files? That's a perfectly okay question to ask. But it's, not, it's really not good to ask a question that you could have found the answer to some other way. You know, That's like, is this advice. deal exclusive? <laughs> right. You know, oh. what does exclusive mean? Yes. Don't ask questions like that. I'm sure people have those questions and that's okay. You can't possibly know everything, but you can find it out in many other ways before or after, but don't ask that person that question. Again, ask I'm going to push the, they have the answer to. I'm going to push the taxi forum. I don't make a penny if you go there or not. Oh, absolutely. Um, but a lot of questions you might ask, and there are other places online where I've seen people that really don't know a hill of beans about the industry and they pontificate as though they are a Harvard professor on the subject. And it's like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So go with people who are part of your trusted community. Taxi is like a, a, I hate to sound corny about it, but people refer to it as a family. I, I personally like to think of it as a cult. Um, but people really do think of it as like an extended family of experts in every genre in every aspect of the industry some taxi member has done what you're about to do or maybe a hundred or a thousand have done it um not that i'm recommending that you should not use a music attorney i think matt hurt who was our first really big successful member did something very smart in his early arc which was he hired a music attorney to go over the first contract he was presented and, ha and probably spent a couple thousand dollars <clears throat> learning about what each clause and each term meant. Then he was able to take that knowledge and look at future contracts from other libraries and know what the hell they were talking about. Um, something you can do that's a pretty solid shortcut, not as good as probably hiring an attorney, and I'm only saying that because I have friends that are music attorneys, they'll give me crap if I don't. Um, <laughs> but you know what? There are probably dozens, hundreds of other taxi members that have signed that same contract with that same library before you. Sure. Don't post the name of the company on the forum where the public can see it because you'll just be creating a bunch of potential wingnuts that aren't members of taxi that might reach out to these companies and do silly stuff. But you could PM uh, direct message guys like Greg and say, have you ever worked with this library? Greg will say, no, I haven't, but I know that John Pearson has. Reach out to him and then you say, okay, JP, I was presented this contract. Can you please just give this a glance and tell me it's the same one you signed and if you've been happy working with that company? Problem solved for no money and probably 15 minutes of your time. Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. Yep. 
you're getting slightly glitchy on me. We've had pretty good luck with the bandwidth today. Um, just I'm going to reiterate what I said at the top of the show for those of you who joined us late. And shame on you for joining late. Um, though we tested all systems beforehand and we both have great bandwidth showing up, we've had some glitchiness with Greg. If it gets really bad to the point where he blacks out on me, we'll just revert to the telephone and I'll put the telephone on a box next to the microphone and we'll do a radio interview. But so far, so good. Shouldn't have said that, right? Um, anything else you want to cover before we go into Q&A? Um, I think, no, I think I got it all in there. I think okay. I, at least everything I wrote down. I didn't come up with anything else on top of my head. I hope that was all helpful. I think it was incredibly helpful. Um, you know, people... I understand people being afraid of the unknown. That's one of the great fears of all mankind throughout all history is the fear of the unknown. With Taxi, you have so many other members that have walked the path. Now I'm sounding like a Sunday preacher. They have walked the path that you're going to walk, but they have. The information is out there. Um, so just take advantage of the fact that you have this incredibly generous and a uh, very knowledgeable and well-oiled community to have your back at all times. Um, all right, so here's how we're going to play the Q&A game, which is if you have a question, please type the word QUESTION in all caps, so it's kind of easy for me to see in the context of what we'll be scrolling by. And I will grab them, hopefully in the order they come in. Sometimes I miss one, and then... Uh, Oh, there goes <laughs> And Mary and Laird will remind me what I've missed later. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's the first one from uh, Andre Stepanian. Andre, I was thinking hey, I about. Him. Yeah. And I was thinking about Andre and fishing last night. For those of you who don't know, um, Andre is a very well known uh, fishing guide in the um, southwestern part of Canada around Vancouver. Um, and I look forward to the day where I come up there and get some flies wet with you. Uh, okay, question is, hi Greg, realistically, after how many tracks placed in libraries do you start seeing a payment that's more than seven cents, especially <laughs> if it's not the most popular genre, which is a key aspect of that? That's a great yeah. question. Yeah, um, that's a hard one to answer. The, what's difficult to answer about it is as we discussed many times and other people have discussed it, that the timeline is so long, it's hard to even know um, where, you know, where you're doing well or what is doing well and what is not doing well. And there's so many, it's so many complicated factors like, you know, the, the channel and the date of time and the, uh, which, you know, is it the first airing? Is it a repeat? Is it, is it uh, how many seconds is used and, and that kind of stuff. So it's hard to know, like I've hardly seen any kind of rhyme or reason that, um, and I've tried not to like really dissect my, my, um, my royalty statements, but you know, sometimes I do cause I'm a numbers guy, but it's really hard to understand why this song in this show paid $75 and this song in this show paid seven. It's really hard to it's really hard to understand. So uh, I I try to put it out of my mind. Actually, I just try to like I write the best music I can, put it in as many places as I can. Uh, you know, hope for a lot of places, and, and it adds up to a real number. It does. 
Um, I yeah. find that somebody once told me that they average for instrumentals only that they were averaging like 40 some cents per placement which seems absurdly small to me but you know what um, it, it, it adds up we do have members that are making tens of thousands a year um, several that have crossed the six-figure mark a, a couple maybe three four five that are over the 200k mark they didn't get there in a year or two it took mm -hmm. them a while but the cool thing is that that income stream will be there when they retire it's the best mm -hmm. retirement portfolio you can absolutely build so if you're 46 years old and you're frustrated by the fact that you've been doing it for three years and you just made you know $4,200 last year. Don't be frustrated by that because the day's going to come where you're going to make 42000 It's probably only two or three years away. Um, and hell, who wouldn't want to have forty, fifty, sixty, dollars $100,000 a year coming in when you're 65 and you want to retire? Sure beats living in a trailer park in Ensenada, I would imagine. <laughs> Having, I've been to Ensenada. I've never lived in a trailer park there. That's um, good. I did have, you know, I took my family there for vacation one time and we drove down because maybe a three or four hour drive from LA. It was July 4th weekend, we were shooting fireworks off on the beach, um, landed a big skyrocket on the roof of the hotel we were staying in, thought for sure we were going to burn the place down. We go to bed around midnight and in the middle of the night, two drunk guys opened up our door. The hotel was accidentally giving out a master key to everybody. They were duplicating the master key. And these two guys who were completely and utterly drunk walked into our room in the middle of the night. I thought for sure we were gonna be murdered. I sat up in bed, just started screaming at them like a madman and they ran out of the room. Oh my God, scary night. Wow. Yeah, kind of ruined that 4th of July. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Stu Thaler wants to know, should we have a 15, 30 and 60 second versions ready to go? Stems are easy to prepare, but the 15, 30s and 60s, not so easy. That's a great question, Stu. Yeah, I, I don't have them ready to go just because um, I don't always get asked for it. So it's like, why do extra work? How I often do you get asked? Like 50% of the time, 30%? <sighs> Wow, I don't know. Um, Some expert you are. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, certain. <laughs> that was funny. Damn it, laugh. You know, thanks. <laughs> I, hey, I started. I started this whole thing with. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to be humble. Um, yeah, I mean, because what happens is some publishers ask for it all the time, and some never do. So I, you know, so I'm trying to do the math. I, it's probably not. It's probably not fifty percent of the time. Okay, for, so yeah, in my make, personal experience, but that you know that may not may or may not be, um, you know, someone else's experience. I just ch I chalk it up to I know I can, I can do it on demand, so I don't really do anything in advance because um, you just don't want to waste effort if I don't need to. Here's a question from Crash. Uh, Dear Greg, just wondering if you can clarify what you're signing in many situations is really only a consignment agreement. I'm not so sure I would consider a library contract a consignment agreement. It's not if it's exclusive. Yeah. Um, because, um, you know, because so, again, that then de de 
depends on the term. So you might um, you might sign an exclusive agreement, but it's only for a certain amount of time. And so then you can get your music back if you if you want to. Um, but a lot of a lot of deals now are starting to become in perpetuity um, because and you've discussed this on other taxi TV episodes about, um, you know, music gets distributed to sub publishers or goes into the hard drives of uh, of their whole bunch of music supervisors and they just can't get into the logistics of pulling music back. So they just sign it in perpetuity. And that's and that's yeah, um, you might you might be able to call in a non exclusive deal. Uh, consignment because the you know you, you have a you have a it's easier to get that back usually or you can sign it to multiple non-exclusive uh deals so you're kind of just putting it with somebody to see if they'll sell it i mean that sounds more like what a sync agent does you know um where you're basically just saying hey see what you can do with this right um type of a thing that sounds like consignment to me yeah and frankly i wouldn't be so quick to use the word consignment in your conversations with other musicians or people in the industry because it's I mean you're certainly entitled to but it's not a word that's commonly used so you might get people confused as to what you're talking about um, here's one from Glenn Stratchum sorry if I butchered your name Glenn uh, is it worth improving the track after being forwarded and replacing the file on the artist profile if you don't mind Greg I'm gonna take that one just because that's kind of a taxi thing um, mm -hmm. you cannot replace a track on your profile. Um, once we forward it, they got what you submitted. So replacing it on your profile after it's been forwarded means that, okay, so it got forwarded and library A never got back to you, meaning they're not interested. Sure, you could do a better version and have it up there for the next time you pitch it and it might go to library B like that. But if the thought is something of mine has been forwarded, but I've done a better mix now. So if I put that new mix up on my profile, the company is forwarded to is going to get the better mix. They won't because um, we send them a file on disco and it's not like they're hearing it off of our server. It's then up on the disco server and kind of etched in stone. Um, here's one from Seth Evan Stone. I've been ghosted by a library after signing a contract and delivering a single track that was forwarded. I've, had positive feedback about my deliverables from other libraries. What are some things I might have done wrong? Um, if someone doesn't get back to you, you probably didn't do anything wrong. Um, you really, you know, I, I may, may, I may have mentioned these details earlier. You kind of just have to chalk it up to someone else is busy. Um, you know, their priorities have changed uh, and they're doing a poor job of, of having a relationship with you. So I think in this specific instance, like it's one track, you know, let's just forget about it and move on. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you know, they vote, lost vote their with your feet and uh, write 10, 10 more for someone else and uh, chalk it up to it just didn't work out. Or maybe it did work out and that library is a two-person operation just lost the, and the owner of the library lost their wonderful assistant they've had for five years that can finish sentences for him and now he's playing catch up on emails or something. There's almost always a reason and it's generally not that they're bad people. It could be they're just overwhelmed sure. or maybe 
they just landed a new client that has a show that needs, you know, 100 tracks a week for a reality show. And they're so busy pitching, the last thing they want to do is answer emails from 45 days ago. So you probably didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, no, I wouldn't say no. I mean, I, I pers- it's, it's difficult. I try to keep track of, um, you know, having not communicated with libraries for a period of time and then just try to send them a email every so often that says, hey, how's it going? You know, we haven't talked lately. What are you working on now? What might, what might you need right now? Just to keep um, communication going. Um, I, I don't think, I don't know if I do a great job at it, but I do try to do it. Um, here's a question from Mimic the Mind. Is it a bad idea to put a different, the different song versions on the disco playlist? going to repeat that because it doesn't make sense to me. Is it a bad idea to put the different song versions on the disco playlist? Um, well, you don't, I mean, you can. Uh, so I, I guess the question is asking, like, can we use disco as a delivery mechanism? Does that sound, that makes sense to you? I, I'm not uh, sure if they're I talking think, about... Yeah, if they're because delivering we were directly about to... delivering different different versions, right? Um, and so I would say that um, the answer is you're you're going to be told how to deliver the different versions that they want. So you don't need to do that. I I use Disco as a as a listening tool. This is what I want you to listen to, and then when they ask me for all the versions they want, they'll tell me, you know. They'll send me a Dropbox link and say, upload them to this folder. Or they say, use WeTrans, zip it up and use WeTransfer and send me the link or a myriad of other ways. But they'll they'll tell you what you're going to do so you don't need to invent it. And follow their instructions carefully because if you don't, they're going to look at you not as a moron, but they're going to look at you as, okay, so this person doesn't follow instructions. The person like Greg who does follow instructions all the time is going to be my go-to person because I don't have to handhold or say, but Greg, you sent it to me, you know, wrong file format or wrong sample rate, or I want a disco, you send it on WeTransfer, blah, blah, blah. They just want you to do simply what they ask. Yeah, yeah, we didn't, I didn't get into that today, but that is so imperative is just do what you're asked. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll, they'll give you details and follow them, follow the instructions. It's not, it's not real hard to do that. And, and I did mention earlier, earlier, like if you if you have a legit question about instructions that you get, and obviously the person that sent you the instructions, the only person that can answer that question, then that's cool. Ask it and get the answer and get it done. But just follow their directions. Don't don't invent your own directions. <laughs> but it's easier that way. <laughs> uh, here's a question I'm going to take it from Brian be- Swain. Uh, under the heading of metadata, do you do libraries, etc., typically ask for full scores of songs, or is it sufficient to have lyrics and tab sheets? No, all, all they really want um, for songs, they might ask for a lyric sheet. They don't want a score. They don't want a tab sheet. All they care about is a good recording with healthy levels, well-balanced mix, um, and sometimes if it's a song song with lyrics, they'll ask for a lyric sheet as well so that they could include that in the library. But for instrumentals, they would never, unless you're scoring a film, they don't want the score. And even then, they don't really care. The, 
the the person who wrote the score is going to get a copyist to hand out versions to everybody who's playing on the soundstage that day. The conductor, which may be the person who wrote it, is going to be looking at it, um, but it's not going to be a case of anybody at the library or anybody who's representing your music to look at a score and go, wow, look at bar 17. That's amazing. Ain't, <laughs> ain't going to happen. The only bar they're looking at is the one they're going to at 5.01 p.m. Um, <laughs> oops, I just had to jump forward. Um, since SoundCloud, Martin Gravel's question was, since SoundCloud is free and Disco isn't, is there a reason to use Disco over SoundCloud? Wouldn't having your song on a website be a better route to go? Well, well, Disco is a website. Um, but um, and Disco, as we mentioned earlier, is just becoming more industry standard, like more people are using it. And so um, it's starting to become more of an expectation. Uh, I got away from SoundCloud and I, I might I may not be right about this, but I read some some frightening language about making, you know, having your work public on SoundCloud and um, you know, there being problems with your ownership after that. So I kind of got off of it right away. Now, I'm, again, I may be wrong about it and uh, it may be perfectly fine or that may have changed in the interim. But um, I got I got away from it right away. And as soon as I heard of Disco, I thought this this makes a lot more sense. Uh, there's a lot more storage capabilities, a lot more information you can store along with your music. You know, um, I I personally use it by making tons of different small playlists which is easy to manage but i'm not sure how easy that is to manage on soundcloud maybe it's okay <clears throat> excuse me maybe it's not so difficult but i never got that far there um because it, it was so simple with a uh, disco you know i put a song in once and then i can put it on 10 playlists and um and keep track of who listens to the each one and it's just a lot easier but not free so um you know it's you are starting a business and most even if you were setting up like a, a hot dog push cart on the streets of new york city you'd have to buy the cart you'd have to buy the fuel to heat the water to keep the hot dogs warm you'd have to buy the buns to put the hot dogs in you'd have to get a license and a permit excuse me you probably print out little handbills you know to pass out on the block before get 50 cents off your hot dog with this businesses have expenses um just saying um here are two questions that are kind of similar so i'm going to roll them up in a fatty and present them to you as one thing um <laughs> how often whoops damn yeah i'm going to give it to you two ways uh brian langeal wants to know um how often does the company you've been forwarded to get back to you as much as a year or more later so what's the the waiting period and have you ever been contacted like way later i think the longest time has been about nine months and the fastest time is like the next day right we've had so, people that have literally gotten contacted by the library before they even got the forward notice from taxi because we sent the forwards out to the library at like noon sharp 
and then sent the notices out to the members at 1210 in the library. Like, I love this. Boop. In between. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a, some very fast communications and some very drawn out ones too. So I know that there's no, there's no rule to go by. Um, as I said before, just don't expect it. Just be prepared when you get it. And related questions, one from Yuka. Uh, when is the typical time the library send you a contract? Uh, is it after you submitted all of your songs or beginning of the relationship with the library? Um, it could be either. Uh, sometimes um, I've gotten like, well, we really like this, uh, we really like this song and we'd like to sign it now. And if you have other material, you can send that to us. But uh, here's a contract for that one. Um, and other times it's like we like this and uh do you have more like it no or yes i could do a few more okay you know do five and so then we hold off until we have all five done and then and then have a contract with all five on them so it's it's been either way i wouldn't i wouldn't say there's a rule that it's one way or the other it really just depends on what on what they want i know that a few times um like i figured i found this out later on that like the publisher just has a system where, you know, they have a database of their composers. So if they want, even if they want to sign a, a bunch of your music, um, they want to get that first one in there so that you're, you're like part of their system. Um, so they may sign the one right away, uh, even though more is coming. But other times it's not that. So I don't, there's no rule to it. Um somebody mimic the mind says disco is only ten dollars a month yeah you know what skip one yeah. and a half lattes a month at starbucks and now you've got a tool that you can use to further your career because i'm pretty sure those lattes aren't going to help you much not that i don't enjoy a good <laughs> latte myself every now and then but you know um yeah what is the disco addy uh liz can you look it up i'm pretty sure it's like disco something dot au it's not um it's not dot ac com, or AC, ac i think yeah okay uh anyway liz will post that liz will post it in the chat for you uh shortly uh i should get my membership free for next year to there disco. you go <laughs> Whoa, a company that rhymes with broadhand, oh, offered me a contract for my song that said, we can rename your song, change the lyrics, and re-record your song at my cost up to $5,000. Is that normal? No, that is no. not normal. <laughs> Never, ever in my life, and I've been in the industry now for like 49 and a half years, have I ever heard of a legitimate company saying that they have the right to re-record your song at a cost to you of up to five thousand dollars hell no um i did sign a song um or actually two i think um to a foreign publisher who said in the contract that they may uh use the instrumental and re-record a vocal in a different language yeah that that's one and thing. i was like yeah that's cool that's fine yeah, uh, but they're not, not going to, but they, right, they're not no. going to charge you a thousand dollars to go in and record that vocal. No.
John Pearson. Hey, JP. Uh, brings hey, up a good John. point. <laughs> brings up a great point here. Unless you make your song private on SoundCloud, you'll often get ads that'll play. No publisher mm. wants to listen to ads to get to your music. They are so right. Mm -hmm. Or John is so right. Um, is it disco or disc go? It's disco, like... Yeah, like the dance. There you go. <laughs> That's as close as you're ever going to get to seeing me dance. Um, okay, what platform gets the most vies from the biz? I don't know what a... This is from Dan Weber. What's a vi, Dan? V-I... I think he means views. From Probably the biz? I, I don't think that the industry goes to platforms like SoundCloud and Disco. Let's see what we can find today. No, I don't uh, think so. Um, there are no live links in the taxi chat. Well, you can copy and paste that sucker. Um, does having your own, this is from Ronnie Bear, does having your own website is having your own website helpful or is it still better to use disco or other entities? I, no one f finds my website and says, I, I want to, uh, I'd, I'd like some music from you. I just use it like a, like a just big giant um, business card. Um, it's just got a lot more content. Yeah. So when I, when I want to say to someone, Hey, this is me, this is what I do. Here it is. Um, instead of saying, well, here's a link to this playlist on disco and here's a link to this one. And that's, you know, so the website is just there to consolidate a bunch of content that I can introduce myself with. After that, it's not really that helpful. And uh, people, like I said, people don't really find it. Um, you know, some people may like some viewers of the show might watch and go take a look at it at, after the show to, make sure I wasn't blowing smoke. Uh, but again, that's not really for people to find. I don't like, I don't have like keywords for people to search and find it and all that kind of jazz. It's just a big, big business card. Um, yeah, it is. And I would say that the consensus in the industry is, yeah, you know what? It's easy enough to build a website and inexpensive enough now um, why am I not thinking of the name of the company that Dave Cool works at? Um, oh, excuse me. They've been a sponsor of the Road Rally for years. And it is, uh, Liz, if you can think of it and post it in the chat, I'm just drawing a blank. But they are the de facto uh, Banzoogle. Banzoogle. Oh, yeah. gosh, I almost had it before you. <laughs> People love Banzoogle. They feel about Banzoogle like they feel about Taxi. And, and I think it's largely because Dave Cool is they're like VP of member relationships or something like that. He's the nicest guy, the most capable guy, and, and they really bend over backwards and it's just easy to use. I've had several friends of mine, uh, taxi members that have become friends that have built websites using Banzoogle and they all say, I don't know, I'm not technical, and yet they built really cool looking websites. I just saw one yesterday, as a matter of fact. There was, I was so blown away with, I thought, wow, I wonder who they used to build their website. Down at the bottom had a little, you know, website by Banzoogle thing. I was like, wow, good for them. Um, 
And somebody, Michael Lehman, posted that he paid 10 Australian dollars per month for his disco subscription, <clears throat> which equates to about 650 a month in U.S. dollars, and there's a limit of 500 tracks. If you're serious about wanting to be in the film and TV side of the music industry, you need to have disco, and at six and a half dollars a month, if you live in the U.S., come Can't on, beat it. that's one trip to Starbucks. Um, all right, we got two minutes left to go. I'm going to look for one more question, and we'll wrap up with that one. Okay. Is it, you know, this is a great question. Um, and I've got a great answer for you. And I also want Greg's opinion. Is it a drawback to be from somewhere outside of the United States? So if you're a composer, a songwriter, artist, musician outside of the U.S., do people in the industry go, oh, they're from Scotland? I don't sign any people from Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, they're from Scotland. <laughs> I'm sure nobody ever says that in real life, but that's the first oh thing that popped into my head because I watched 30 seconds of Outlander last night. <laughs> um, well, I don't, I don't, I, I, that I can't answer, uh, be honest, uh, since I'm not. And um, I certainly haven't, I mean, I've collaborated with people outside of the United States and I've never heard, um, I've never heard that uh, opinion from anyone that they felt like it was a negative thing. Um, but I can't say I got a ton of experience to make a really good judgment on it. Well, Greg, I have, and good. I can tell you because I'm the last set of eyes on our second to last set of eyes on our member deals or member success stories that got in the newsletter every month. So I have commented to our staff um, that as much as 40 or 50% of all the deals that are reported to Taxi, which for those of you who aren't reporting deals, I do know where you live. You're in our database. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I would say 40 to 50% of the deals reported are from people outside of the U.S. I'm constantly amazed. We have people from Sweden, from Scotland, um, Ireland, the U.K., Germany, uh, Romania. I mean, just all over the globe. And the one thing all these people say at the bottom of their little blurb about, thank you, taxi. Uh, I just got a deal offer, or signed a deal or had a placement, whatever the scenario is. Virtually every one of them will say, I never imagined that living where I live. Here's what, uh, Cyprus, the, the Greek island of Cyprus, which is off the coast of Italy. Um, We've had a member there, uh, gosh, why can't I not think of his name? Uh, Adonis. Adonis Electris, greatest guy, most yes. positive, fun guy in the world. Love his attitude, talk about great attitude. Um, it, I, I don't wanna say Taxi was entirely responsible for his career, because his talent is the thing that's responsible and his work ethic. But he once wrote me a letter and, and called me or something, uh, literally brought tears to my eyes. Went, remember when Greece and Cyprus went bankrupt about 15 years ago? Things were really bad. The economy was sucking. And this guy was trying to earn a living just doing music back then. He had a little kid who was graduating from a crib to a big girl bed. And they could not afford to buy a big girl bed for their daughter. 
And because of placement he got through taxi, that funded the purchase of the big girl bed for their daughter. And he sent me an email telling me that literally, I've got four daughters. I was wiping tears from my eyes going, wow, I never knew when I started this company that that kind of goodness could come from a company. So in answer to your question, people from all over the world get deals. I honestly think either they're better at reporting their deals or maybe there's some advantage. Maybe libraries in the U.S. go, oh, this guy's from Scotland, uh, and, and think that there's a slightly different flavor or a different pool of musicians, or maybe people outside of the U.S. are adding a little different salt and pepper to their hamburgers when they cook it then. U.S. I, I don't know if any of that. That's just pure speculation. But yeah, you don't have to worry. Um, make up a country. Tell people you're from Moldova or something, and maybe they'll find you more interesting. Just lie about it. <laughs> anyway, you know I'm kidding, right? Don't say Michael told us to lie on Taxi TV. <laughs> um, Greg, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for uh, reaching out and volunteering to do this. Your information is world-class, and uh, people can go check out Greg's work at gregcarosa.com. That's with two R's and two Z's. Yep, I've spelled it wrong a thousand times and corrected myself, every one of them. Um, and Greg will be at the road rally. Um, like I said, I haven't finished. I, I've just started sketching out which panels are what and where they go and who's going to be on them. So I don't know yet um, if he'll be on a panel, but I would certainly like it. The, to turn out that way, but he will definitely do one-to-one -one mentoring, I'm sure. Um, I like how I cleared this with you before I'm telling everybody. Yeah. Um, no, I I figured it, it's a done deal. It's all good. Yeah, he loves I'm doing it, do it. And, and he's good at it. Um, he's not from Scotland, uh, <laughs> but he'll do. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have just alienated an entire country. <laughs> no, I'm speaking fondly of them oh okay um, anyway th <laughs> thank you greg uh thank you guys for watching don't miss next week's show i'm doing something with a little twist something that i know you guys love we're gonna do you are in the a and r hot seat next week and we're not just going to listen to music that was forwarded or returned for one listing we're going to do three different listings so we give you a little more depth and breadth as to uh helping you guys tune your ears, see if you line up with what the screeners say. And with that, I beg you to hit that subscribe button if you're not a subscriber already. Is that too needy? Uh, and, and give us a thumbs up a little. <laughs> Carrozzo, see you around the ranch. Um, thank you. And Great thanks for take, taking uh, family time away from your family. And, and they're all upstairs like, woohoo, dad's not here. <laughs> anyway. You got that right. <laughs> Have a great night. Bye, you guys. <laughs> Bye.